this is probably going to go down as one of my favorite weekends of the year. It's just been so, so awesome. We, uh, as a church, launched just a little under two years ago, so September of uh, 2013. And our heart in launching this church, because there are some great churches in Washington, uh, but we knew that there were still people who didn't have a home church, who didn't have a relationship with God. And we knew that by planting a new church, that was an opportunity to reach more people for Jesus. And that's been our heartbeat ever since. That's still our goal is to reach new people for Jesus. So this weekend has just captured the vision of Connect because yesterday we had over 700 people come to our Family Fun Fest. And it was just amazing to see so many people from the community coming and enjoying that day. And, and our prayer really was that maybe that's the first touch that they have with Connect Church and that, that maybe they'll come along to a service as a result of that. Maybe they'd see some friends here and realize, I didn't realize you guys were a part of the church, and that would be their introduction to the church. Another huge highlight for me yesterday was seeing um, around about 100 of you volunteering. I mean, that was fantastic to see. In fact, give yourselves a round of applause if you were uh, helping yesterday. You are so amazing, and I saw some of you stood by those slides out there for well over an hour, and I mean, it was hot and sticky out there, and uh, thank you so much for being out there and uh, doing all that you did. So yesterday was just fantastic, knowing that that was a wonderful opportunity to reach people in our community, and the reason we want to reach them, the reason we want to reach people outside of Connect Church is because we believe that there are still people in this community that don't know Jesus the way many of us know him. And this morning, the weekend just got better because it reminded us again why we do what we do. Six wonderful people here this morning got baptized and shared what God is doing in their lives and how they want to make God number one in their lives. And it was just so awesome. And I just, like I said before, knowing the story of these families and knowing the story of these individuals and why they want to get baptized just was, was awesome. So, and, uh, and getting to baptize Emma at the end there was, was pretty cool too. So, okay. Well, enough of that. Let me, um, let me jump into what I want to talk about this morning because if you are visiting here this morning, maybe you're here uh, as a guest of someone's being baptized. We're actually, uh, we're, we're doing a series this mo- uh, right now, and this is the last week of that series, and it's called Walls. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how walls, you know, for the most part can be a bad thing. They can bring uh, division and separation, and they can cause, you know, barriers between us and other people, and very often, us and God. We talked a little bit last week about how, you know, some walls aren't necessarily bad. Sometimes we need boundaries in our life, but we also talked about the fact that there are healthy boundaries, and then there are unhealthy boundaries, and we talked about what a healthy boundary would look like. So I want to finish off this series this morning, and I knew I was going to speak about this uh, for a while, but I'm thrilled I get to speak about it on a baptism Sunday, because I want to talk about a very specific wall here this morning. And to set up what I want to talk about, I want to tell you about an event that I was at this week. Um, earlier this week, I got to go to a church here in Peoria, and uh, they were hosting um, the satellite of a leadership conference that was being put on by a church up in Chicago. And this church is called Willow Creek, and the pastor there, his name is Bill Hybels. For many years now, he's been doing this leadership conference, and it's a conference uh, for pastors and leaders and, and uh, different uh, leaders in the community to help us get stronger and better in our leadership skills. He has some amazing speakers coming in from the church world and from the business world, and just some amazing teaching. And uh, he's just a huge hero of mine, because like us, about 20 years ago, he planted a church up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. 
And his goal in planting that church was to reach people in his community that had kind of given up on church. Maybe they, they weren't a part of a church. Maybe they didn't feel the church was relevant to them. And he said, I want to plant a church that's relevant, that people can come along to, and they can understand the Bible taught in, in a way that it relates to them. And, and in, in keeping strong to that vision, they've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the last 20 years come to know Jesus as their Savior. And even at this conference, he was sharing again just his heart. You'd think when you've reached that stage, and they're a, a mega church now, they have over 10,000 people that would call Willow Creek their church home. They have a huge impact on the community and um, reaching people in need and, and just doing some wonderful things up there. You'd think at that point, he'd kind of settle back and think, you know what, we've done good. But still, 20 years on, he's sharing his heart to reach people that don't know Jesus. And he told this story that I want to tell you this morning. He told a story about a trip he took, and, and he sat down on this airplane seat as they were preparing to, to travel to this destination, and um, just got into some small talk with the guy next to him, and asked what he did for a living, and the guy told him, and they chatted about his career for a bit, and then finally, the guy said, so what do you do for a living? And like me, he said, that's always kind of an awkward point of the conversation, because, you know, there's, there's not really any other way of saying it. I'm a pastor. And that normally lands one of two ways with someone. And this has happened to me. You know, I've met people on plane rides before, strangers, and, and they've gone, oh, that's awesome. I go to this such and such church, and they start telling me about their pastor, and they ask me questions about our church, and it's a great time. We have a wonderful conversation all the way, wherever it is we're going. And then other times, you just see it change, that look in their eye. You're like, I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm stuck next to a pastor for two hours. This is going to be rough, you know. So I'm going to have a sleep now. Headphones will go back. Whatever it is, because I don't know why, but maybe there's some reason. Maybe this person's had a bad experience in church. Maybe they think that I'm there to, you know, stand up and preach at them or pray for them or whatever it may be. But it, it just kind of gets uncomfortable. And, and Heibel's told this story. He said, and I told the guy I was a pastor. And the guy said, oh. He goes, well, just so you know, just I want to let you know before we even take off here. Me and God, we're okay. He's like, oh, all right. He goes, yep, yep, no, seriously, me and God, things are okay between me and God. I mean, we're good. And I was like, all right, that's good. I don't know what he thought Hybels was going to do, but it, this guy was very clear that him and God, they were okay. He says, you know, I go to church twice a year. I go at Easter and I go at Christmas. Uh, towards the end of the year, I like to try and give a little bit of money at the offering at the church. So, so things between me and God, they're great. I was just like, okay, <laughs> you know, that's, that's good. And the guy's like, so we're good, right? Me, me and God. And he's like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you think we're okay, right? I mean, you're, you're okay with, and he's like, well, he goes, <laughs> I guess, well, I'll tell you what, he goes, could, would you let me tell you what the Bible says about God and about his relationship? And the guy's like, okay. And he says, so he, he pulled out a napkin. There was a, a napkin there for their drinks. And he pulled it out and he set it on the ground. And he, he says, he drew this, this line like this. I don't know if you can see this line. I tried to get a nice thick black Sharpie and I didn't get the uh, strongest of Sharpies there. Let's try a couple of these other ones and see if they... Uh, there we go. That's a much blacker, thicker line. So he drew this line, and he said, you know what? Um, he says, you've got this line here, okay? And at the top of the line here, I'm on the wrong side here because I'm right-handed. So he says, you've got God. So he's drawing this in that, and he says, you've got God here at the top of the line. And, and he said, God, he is perfect. So, and then we're somewhere on this line, Okay, you and I and everyone else that's ever lived, we're somewhere on this line. You know, maybe we're, we're really good. Maybe we're way down here at the bottom of the line. He says, so, um, so why don't you, he goes, he, he handed the pen to the guy, and he goes, just, just tell me where you think you are on that line. 
He says, maybe you're, I don't know you, you look well-dressed. Maybe you're like kind of bumping heads on the top of the line here. I mean, you are way up there. You know, you're almost. And the guy's like, I'm not sure if I'm there. And he's kind of hesitating. His pen's kind of hovering up and down the line. He's not really sure where to to put the cross. And uh, um, Heibel says, well, hang on. Before you do that, he goes, let's do this. Let's put a few other people on this line. He goes, give me a name of someone who you think is like a very famous Christian, someone who's a really good follower of Jesus. And the guy thinks for a sec. He goes, well, I guess Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, she was great. And he goes, you know what she was? Now, this is a very famous Christian pastor, Bill Hybels. He said, you know, I've actually read everything that Mother Teresa has written. She is a hero of mine. I've I've made it a point to read everything she's written because she inspires me. I want to live like she lived. He says, but you know what? As I've read what she's written, it's been interesting because I've read of the times where she, she felt bad and she felt guilty because um, when she was younger as a nun, she was very disrespectful to her leaders. She had a real problem with her attitude and, and she was very um, critical of herself. He says, you know, in other writings, there were actually times where, where she doubted her faith a little, where she had questions for God that she could never really find the answers to. He says, I actually think that if Mother Teresa was, was here today on this plane, she would probably only put herself about here. So that's about two-thirds of the way up the line if you're listening on the podcast. So um, he said, that, so, so, so that's, we'll put Mother Teresa there. He goes, give me another famous Christian person. The guy goes, uh, how about Billy Graham? He's like a big guy in the church, right? Billy Graham. And the Bible says, you know what? I've actually met Billy Graham a couple of times. He is. He's an amazing man of God. He's so humble. He's just such an incredible guy. He says, and I've actually, he's even asked me if I would pray for him one time. He says, really? He goes, yeah, I got to meet with Billy Graham privately and asked if I would pray with him. He said, because he was just, he was having a tough time because he was kind of, you know, struggling. He didn't feel like he'd done everything he could do. He felt like there were areas of his life where he hadn't fulfilled what God had in mind for him. He even felt like maybe he'd, he'd fallen short a little bit of what God had in store for him. And maybe he hadn't done everything, that every opportunity that God had given him, maybe he hadn't taken. And, and Heibel's got to pray with Billy, Billy Graham. And he says, you know, he's, there were times where he thought, you know, I, I, I could have done better. I could have done more. And he says, so I actually think maybe Billy Graham would probably put himself maybe about here. Billy Graham, just below Mother Teresa. And then Bill Hybels went on to say to the guy, you know, looking at these two, he goes, I'm going to say that maybe I'm somewhere around here. I'm the pastor of this church in, in Chicago. I'm going to put myself about here. And then he handed the pen back to the guy, and he says, so, so on this line, where would you say you are? The guy's like, whoa. Because <laughs> I think originally he was going to be somewhere up in the uh, 80s or 90s. And kind of he looks, and he goes, well, I can't be higher than Mother Teresa. <laughs> And I certainly can't be higher than Billy Graham. And this guy works for God. That's his job. So, so he, he kind of realizes that, you know, even though him and God are good, <laughs> things are good between me and God, he realizes he's, he's actually still probably quite a way from where God is there in his perfection. And I'm going to tell you um, shortly how, how Bill Hybels finished off that conversation with this gentleman on the plane. But, but I want to talk about this gap here. Because maybe if we're here this morning and we were to look at this line, we would probably uh, uh, put ourselves somewhere, maybe towards the bottom. I don't know. Maybe we've got some Mother Teresas here in the room this morning and you guys will be right up near the top. But I don't know that any of us could put ourselves right here, could we? I think all of us would admit this morning we've probably fallen short of perfection. And that gap between where we are and where God is, it's, it's, it can become like a wall in our lives. This is the last wall I want to speak about in this series. 
Because for some of us, that wall between where we find ourselves and where God is, is like a wall of separation. This wall separates us from this perfect heavenly God. And we look at this, this wall in our lives that separates us from God. And, and maybe here this morning as you were watching these people get baptized, maybe you were moved to the fact that they seem to have figured out a way through that wall. They would figured out a way to connect with God. They seem to have this relationship with God, this connection. And maybe you're here this morning, it was a friend of yours that you came along with, maybe a relative, maybe you're here because of Family Fun Fest, but whatever's brought you here this morning, you've seen these people get baptized, and it appears that they've found a way through the wall. But you still feel like the wall is there. You still feel like there's this wall between you and God, and you're not really sure how to get through it or over it or around it or under it. But I want to tell you something about this wall that's there this morning. God is on the other side of that wall, and he is looking for a way through. You may have found yourself here this morning, and maybe you're quite happy that there's a wall. You have no desire to get through that wall. But you know what? God is on the other side of that wall, and he is looking for a way through. He is looking for a way to connect with you. You know, Luke was one of the guys who wrote the story of Jesus' life. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he's telling a story about someone we're going to talk about in a minute. And he says, the, talking of Jesus, the Son of Man, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to find a way through that wall that separates us from God. And I want you to imagine this morning that wall, because maybe you're looking at it saying, but Dave, this wall is huge. I don't know that he could get through this wall, but have you ever seen one of those movies, like kind of a bank heist movie, and um, you see the, the, the baddies, the criminals, they're kind of down in the, the basement or the sewer of the building next door, and secretly they've been tunneling away to where the vault is and the bank next door. And maybe it's over days or weeks or even months, they're digging this tunnel, and they're coming all the way up to the wall of the safe on the other side of the bank. And you could stand in that safe and you could look on the inside and think, man, these walls are thick. There's no one getting through these walls. But unbeknownst to you, there are some criminals on the other side who are within inches of getting through that wall. And as you stand there looking at that wall, it looks impenetrable. But actually on the other side, a lot of progress has been made and that wall is about to be broken through. That's how God is pursuing some of you this morning. You may say, but Dave, this wall in my life, God is on the other side of that wall, and he's pursuing you. He's working to get through that wall. But the problem is that for some of us here this morning, that wall has a name. I was praying about this message this week, and I felt there was a couple of things that maybe would hit home to some people here this morning. And for some of you, the wall that separates you from here and God, that wall is called guilt. Some of us have a very high and a very thick wall in this department. We're very aware of the wrong things that we've done. And we've just kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that there's no getting through this wall. Not with the mess that my life was in. Dave, if you heard my story, if you knew the stuff that's happened in my life up till now, if you knew the stuff I'm struggling with at the moment, and Mother Teresa is only here, Dave, we need the paper to keep going down here off the stage. And I think I'm down here somewhere. There's no getting through my wall. But I want to tell you something here this morning. God loves you so much. 
God wants you to know how close you actually are, how that wall can be broken down so simply. And I want to give you an example here from that, that passage we read a second ago in, in Luke chapter 19. The story that um, when Jesus came to seek and save the lost, it ties into a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, you may remember Zacchaeus. He was a very little man. A very little man was he. And um, he climbed to the top of a tree because he heard that Jesus was coming to town. Now, if you haven't heard the story, Zacchaeus was a pretty hated dude there in the, the town in which he lived. He was a tax collector. My apologies to you here this morning if you do work for the IRS. But um, apparently back in those times, people didn't like tax collectors. Now I know we love them. But... Um, Back in those days, collecting taxes, it was a very criminal thing. Do you know, it's funny, actually, I was, I was thinking about Zacchaeus. My brother-in-law used to, to be a tax collector. So I know he, he actually worked for the Inland Revenue, they're called in England. That's the English version of the IRS. And his job was to go to businesses and collect the money they owed. You know, knock, knock, hi, is the boss here? Yeah, great. You owe me money. So he would tell me about how difficult his job was because no one was ever pleased to see him. <laughs> No one liked it when he showed up. People were mean to him and rude. So finally he said, I've, I've had enough, and he quit the job. And he got a job as a traffic warden. They're the guys who go around and put tickets on cars. The, the mean, I know. <laughs> Apparently that was a step up. And <laughs> people were mean, but just not quite as mean. True story. He went from tax collector to traffic warden. So now you see where the tax collectors fall on the totem pole. Okay? I mean, they're way, way down near the bottom. And Zacchaeus was one of these guys. He cheated people out of money. He loved money himself. And let's read about Zacchaeus, what happened when he met Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, verse 5, it said, When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Out of all the people, all the crowds that were there to see him, Jesus sees one of the, the, the worst people in town, the, people whose reputa- the person whose reputation was that of being a cheat and a criminal and just a disliked person. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus, you're the one I've come to see. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. And listen to the response the people around gave. People were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Because they still had it in their heads that the further this gap was from here, the more unpleasant that person is, the more you had to treat them badly. And yet Jesus, he doesn't see it like that. Jesus loves Zacchaeus just like he loves you and me. And even the people who, who recognize this kind of guy, even in their upset with Jesus, this didn't stop him. Jesus saw Zacchaeus through his eyes of love and of grace. And you know what? It was that love and that grace that broke down a wall in Zacchaeus' life. He was changed you know, as you go to read on in the story, it says that his life changed completely. Completely, He gave back to everyone he'd cheated. He even gave money to the poor. And this was a man who money was a big deal. That interaction with Jesus, experiencing that love and that grace when no one else cared about him, that changed Zacchaeus' life. You know, you may be here this morning and you feel like that wall is so thick, that guilt because of all the wrong things you've done. But if Jesus were here this morning, I think he'd come up to you and he'd say, hey, you're actually the one I've come to see. I want to come back to your house for for lunch. I want to come back and talk to you and tell you how much I love you. Jesus is in the business of changing the lives of even the people who have the, the most junk to deal with. 
Do you know, when we were at this conference this week, we, we heard an amazing story. I'm going to show you a video in a minute that tells the story of this, this guy. His name's Burl Kane. He's a follower of Jesus, and he happens to be the warden of Angola Prison in Louisiana. Angola Prison is one of the largest prisons in the South. There are 6,100 inmates there. It's a gigantic prison. It's where all the, the toughest offenders go. Only people who, who have committed murder or rape or armed robbery or habitual felons end up at this prison. And if your sentence is less than 50 years, you don't normally go to this prison. Before this guy became the warden, the prison was in a terrible state. They were saying this, um, uh, this week at the conference that there wasn't a day went by without someone being killed. And then 18 years ago, this, this warden, who happened to be a follower of Jesus, he took over the prison. And because of his faith in Christ, the way he led this prison changed. And I want you to listen to this story here on the video. I'm working on a building. I'm working on a first came here, a lot more stuff going on. Violence, um, drugs, you name it. They had everything then. They also had churches, and God was still moving through those churches. It was the bloodiest prison in America 15 years ago before the warden came. Uh, maximum security. You know, and he came in and started out by saying, I'll be, I'll be as good as you let me be and as bad as you make me be. You know, there are people who tell you that he's the second most powerful man in Louisiana because of what he's been able to do here. I didn't have these preconceived ideas of how it was supposed to be. And I came here to be the warden, and I never worked in a prison in my life. My first job in a prison was a warden. And now I've been a warden 29 years. The majority of the offenders that are here are, have life sentences. And what we have tried to do and what Warden Kane has tried to do is to, to make it into like a, a community for these guys. Well, the only kind of inmates that we have here are murder, rape, armed robber, habitual felon. If you get 50 years short on your sentence where you only have 50 years left, I don't even keep you. I send you to a medium security prison. So there's 4,000 lifers, and the average sentence for the rest is about 93 years. And the longest sentence is 2,574 years and 19 life sentences for one man. When I first came here uh, some 21 years ago, uh, the prison was a lot different from the, the way it is now. It had men that would get together and pray and ask God, look, make a difference in the lives of these men here. Change this place because we don't want it to be what it is today. And uh, God answered that prayer with the Bible College. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to talk on faith tonight. Is that okay? Yes, I'm in the born again spirit for Christians that we have here. I just want to see by show of hands. Can I come on? Leave your hand up so I can see. I always believed Christians were cowards. You see, that's why I took advantage of them. I mean, Christians don't fight back. They turn the other cheek. It's easy. Good pray. Easy pray. When the Bible college came, Warden King called us and he said that he wanted to start a Bible college and he wanted to get all the ministers that were in the various fellowships to, um, to come and be a part of it so he could enhance what they already had going on. With the Bible college in place, we're graduating the uh, trained, certified ministers and they've started and are growing their own churches within the prison. Probably the only prison in the country that has that type of situation. 
Why would I want to be a Christian knowing that I'm going to have to accept more persecution, more ridicule, more disrespect, and imprison? It is absolutely paramount that you earn your respect. Once they graduate from the seminary, then they become uh, inmate chaplains and they serve right in the cell ward. You know, there's 2,000 people alone in the main prison. And what they did was they utilized us to reach those guys. And guys would talk to us about things that they wouldn't talk to anybody about. How many of you think that God would cause anyone, anywhere, at any time to bring his will to pass? Okay. How many of y'all believe that God is unlimited in all things? Come on, he is that he is. Even today. Any prison system can change in any state. And so uh, I think, again, that's why it happened here. You know, God has the purpose of everything he does. You have to have prison wardens that say yes a whole lot more than they say no. Warden Kane's philosophy is we try to say yes a lot more than we say no. My testimony is that I knew that a person had entered my life and somebody who refused to be ignored. He would not be ignored. You know, it's an amazing story of what God is doing in that prison. We found out this week that there are 18 active churches now in that prison, being led by 18 different pastors. Convicts who have, have gone through this Bible college and now are, are preaching and teaching and, and leading people to Christ. And as we hear that story, you know, we, we, we struggle with the, the idea that these people will spend the rest of their years in, in prison. And yet they're coming to know Jesus. They said that the, the crime rate in the prison since the warden taker took over has dropped by 80%. That would be great in any city. But to hear the prison crime rate dropping by 80%, that's amazing. God is doing so much. And it reminds me of this verse. And I want to share it with you this morning because maybe some of you still struggle with the idea of this. But Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, he said in Romans 8.38, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. You know, maybe your wall of guilt is like, David, if you knew what I'd done. Listen, there are guys in this prison every day that are finding that God loves them. God wants to be a part of their life. God wants to, to forgive them, that they can turn their lives around and live differently and live for him. And I think he wants you to know this morning the same thing if you have a wall of guilt between you and God. But maybe your wall this morning isn't guilt. Maybe this morning you're here and your wall is doubt. Maybe you're here this morning, this is another wall that can creep up and, and, and separate us from God. And here is because we have so many questions that, that need to be answered. We're here this morning, it was awesome seeing people get baptized, but you know, I, I can't imagine me being there because I have all these, these questions, and these questions are like bricks in that wall. And the danger with having that many questions is that you may get one answer, you may remove one brick, but very often two more come in its place. It's kind of like, I, I, I want to figure out all these questions, but you're never going to get to, to get the answer to every single question. It would be like watching a movie, a real suspenseful movie, and, and an hour into it, you press pause, and I say, okay, I want you to tell me all about this movie, what's happened so far, how it's going to end, who actually did it, who the, the, the killer was. If you could tell me, it wouldn't be a very good movie. The idea behind a suspense movie is an hour in, you're still not sure. You don't know all the answers yet. yet. Some of that stuff isn't going to be revealed till the end of the movie. And the reality is that for us in our life here, whether it's our, our life here on earth or even just, just the fact of life itself, 
There are still so many questions that will still go unanswered. And and the key to breaking down the wall of doubt is faith, is trusting God and stepping into a relationship with God. And for some of us where, where doubt is an issue, we have a hard time with that. We're like, yeah, but that's the problem I've got with people who follow Jesus. It's like they've stopped asking questions and they've just accepted everything. And I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. And I want to tell you that there are many followers of Jesus who haven't stopped asking questions, who are still working through questions in their faith. You know, there's something known as apologetics, and apologetics is, is studying why we believe what we believe. And there are some, some amazing people, uh, much, much smarter than me, who, who really uh, pursue this and pursue the idea of apologetics. Dig deeper into their faith. For example, you know, um, these are the kind of people that would look and say, you know, I'm not going to just take it that the, because Jesus was talked about in the Bible, that that's enough. And they'll study other manuscripts and archaeologists and historians, and they'll find, um, as I found this week, uh, writings by a man by the name of Tacticus, a Roman who, who lived thousands of years ago in, in kind of New Testament times, was a very respected historian. And he writes of this man named Jesus. A man who called himself the Christ. There are other historical figures who've talked about this man that once walked the earth, who claimed to be Jesus Christ, who people followed, who was crucified. I discovered that there's more historical evidence for Jesus than some other historical figures like Julius Caesar. So it's a fact, it's it's, it's historically proven that this man once walked the earth. It's just six people this morning who got baptized felt that this was more than just a man. This was the son of God who came to change their lives. I loved the stories. I loved hearing Christy and Tammy talking about knowing who Jesus was and knowing him personally now in their lives. And for many of us who are followers, we've, we've taken that kind of factual, journalistic exercise to help strengthen our faith. But one of the greatest um, f- uh, apologetics people there ever was, uh, was a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. He was a British guy. He lived back in the 60s. And listen to what he had to say about this whole thing. And bear in mind, this was a guy who was very wise and very clever. He was a professor at Oxford. He wrote all the books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, those books, and many, many other books. He was very well known as somebody who would debate with people who who weren't followers of Christ and could hold his own and really share why he believed what he believed. But on the subject of apologetics, he said this. He says, that is why we apologists take our lives in our hands and can be saved only by falling back continually from the web of our own arguments as from our intellectual counters into the reality. From Christian apologetics to Christ himself. He's saying, listen, it's great to explore this and to try and get all the answers to it, but there comes a time where you just, all you've got left to do is fall back, not into the the Christian apologetics, but into Christ himself. If your wall this morning that separates you from God is, is questions you have, there will always be questions, and some may be answers, some not, but at some point, it's not the, the answers, it's falling back in faith into the arms of Christ himself. And that's what some um, testified to here this morning, that he's made a difference in their lives. Even the man who was most famous for his ability to, to intellectually argue what it meant to be a follower of Christ, he acknowledged that there comes a time where you have to be willing to take a step of faith and lean into Jesus. So I don't want doubts to be a wall that, that stops you from having that connection with God. You see, Heibel's finished his story by saying, you know, when the guy realized that he was quite a long way down that wall, 
He was quite far from God. Hyvels, he drew another picture. He says, you know what? God recognized this. God knew that whether you were Mother Teresa and you were really close, or whether you were one of those prisoners who was on that video and maybe a long way from, from God, that there was a gap here, there was a separation. And here's what God did. Out of God's love for man, he sent Jesus to die on a cross. Because he knew the only way from here to here was through here. We'll never be able to bridge this gap. So Jesus bridged the gap for us. And so many here this morning have, have recognized that and made that decision to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. If I want people to know so much how much Jesus has changed me that I'm going to stand in front of everyone this morning. I'm going to go right under the water here because I want people to know the difference he's made in my life. And can I close with this, this last final thought for you here this morning? Because I know that you're here and maybe you've been coming to connect for a while and you're still not sure. There's still a, a little bit of a wall here that separates you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a friend or a family member of somebody who got baptized or you're, you're visiting. And you feel like there's that wall and, and you're just not really sure. Let, let me close with this, this last story as a thought to send you away with. I want you to imagine with me that you're going to go on a journey and you're going to take a train to get there. So you know that this train will take you to that destination. You know, you could go and you could purchase the ticket. You could go and, and you could look up on the timetable and know exactly what time that train's going to get there. You could figure out exactly what time it'll get you to the destination. You could even show up at the station with your ticket that's going to get you on that train. But you know what? As that train pulls up into that platform, knowing what time it was going to get there, having the ticket, knowing where it's going, none of those will get you to the destination, will they? The only way you'll get to that destination is if you'll step onto that train. That's the only way it will get you there. You can know everything about the train, everything about the, you can have the ticket, but if you're not going to step onto the train itself, and that's that, that step of faith, and for many of us, this wall is in the way. We're like, but if you knew the bad things, or I'm still not sure, and, and God's saying, listen, that's why I sent Jesus. I love you so much, but you're going to have to step onto the train. And that's how I want to challenge you here this morning. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you're, you're new here, but, but it's, a, it's a simple step, but it can also be a very difficult step. And I want to encourage you not to miss that opportunity this morning to take that, we call it here in the church, that step of faith to step onto that train. So we're going to close this morning by praying together. So if you want to uh, bow your heads here. And right before I pray, I want you just to, to think about that. Maybe you're um, here as a guest of a family member is being baptized, and this is all kind of new to you. But as I've been talking, you thought, you know what, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. That wall that he described, that really describes where I'm at. As I pray this prayer, I just, you know, you can actually talk to God right now where you're sitting. You can say, God, I want to get on that train. God, would you help me have the faith to just step off the platform and onto that train? I could show up at this station every single week and stand in front of that train. But unless I actually get on, I'm never going to get to the destination. So give me the courage this morning, Lord, to step onto that train. Father, I pray for everyone here. Every person here this morning, maybe a regular attender, maybe a visitor. 
And maybe, Lord, they're here this morning and you're stirring their heart and they know that um, they feel that they should step onto that train. Lord, give them the courage. Give them the faith to do that. Let them know, Lord, that um, they'll never break through that wall in their own strength. But you've been working behind the scenes, Lord. You've been digging away behind that wall. Nothing separates us from the love of God. And you've been working through that wall because you want to get through that wall to every one of us. Help us to realize this morning, Lord, that you've done all the work. You've gone through the wall. We just have to step over the edge now and step onto that, that train. So would you give them the courage and the faith to do that this morning? And Lord, I pray that that would be something that even as they, they think that through now, even as they talk to you and pray about that now, they would have the uh, courage to maybe share with a family member or a friend. You know, I did that. I did that. I want to I know Jesus the way you know Jesus. So this morning when that guy was praying, I prayed that prayer to step off the platform to reach that destination. So be with everyone here this morning, I pray. Thanks for all of those that got baptized. Uh, be with us now as we continue on this week and bring us safely back next week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.